Eden, the rebellion took place. Adam and Eve bought the lie that they could become their own gods. And ever since the human race has said, if I have a choice between me being God and God being God, I choose me. And in the midst of that, God says, I will put enmity between you, Eve, and Satan and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband. And, and that's not a good desire here. It's the desire to dominate. Choose in chapter 4 of a crouching lion. And he shall rule over you. He will be harsh with you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. They had never heard this before. This was a divine judgment. You shall die. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Where did these skins come from? God had to kill some animals to cover the nakedness of a couple that were never aware of shame to sin. You never feel guilt and shame until you've experienced sin. Either be sinned against or to sin. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Isn't that interesting? Us. There must be a triune God. There's more than just one. Like us. In knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned away every, turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Here's the predicament. You're evicted from Eden because of your choice. Uh, pain is coming to the woman. Remarkable, incredible pain. Domination by the male species is coming. Men, where you could have gone out and just harvested crops that just grew of themselves, now you must sweat, you must labor. It will not be easy to sustain yourself. And then in the midst of this, you're going to turn to dust. You brought about physical death, spiritual death, ultimate death and separation from God. And in the middle of this, God cuts off any access to life. You can't ever reach the tree of life again. I designed it 
to give you perpetual life, immortality, so long as you eat from this tree. But I've cut it off. I've banished you from the garden. And so from here, Genesis on, man is in search of paradise, doesn't know where to find it. He's in search of life. He doesn't know where to find it. And so he staggers through history like a drunk man in a fog, and he cannot find God. He cannot find life. He cannot find meaning. So we're on drugs. We're on everything that blows your mind because there's nothing else to live for but getting high. There's nothing to life. The wisest man that ever lived, the richest man that ever lived, he said, I've tried wine, women, and money, and it's all like chasing the wind. I'm no better. I'm empty. I'm empty. I'm empty. It's all vanity. A Hebrew way of saying it's all like chasing the air. Jesus comes to this world, and he says repeatedly, especially in the book of John, I have come that you might have life. I have come that you might have life. He met a man by the name of Nicodemus, who of all people you would think would have life. He was full of religion. He was on the Sanhedrin. He was a teacher in Israel. And Jesus came to him and he said, you know what? You've got the right kind of religion. You just don't know God. You've got the only religion on the earth that God approves, and that is Judaism. It has gone awry. It has gone apostate. And he said this to this man, a very religious man. He said, Nicodemus, unless you get a source of life from above, you will never see the kingdom of God. When he said you must be born again, the word again means from above. Nicodemus, you've got to be born from above. And he said, can a man enter his mother's womb and be born a second time? He missed it totally. He said, no, no, no. We're not talking about physical birth. We're talking about a birth where God imparts his divine life from above. And he gives you eternal life. Unless you have that life, you will never see the kingdom of God. And if he gets to tell him this, he says, Nicodemus, you should know this. You understand Ezekiel 36. You understand the prophet said you'd get a new heart. The prophet said God would wash you clean. God would change and create a new spirit in you. You're full of external religion. You know what to tithe on. You know what the, the yeas, the nays, do, don't, 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 don't. And many of you grew up on religion, but you don't know God. It's a terrible thing to think you're getting a trip to heaven because you punched the religious ticket. And Nicodemus is still in the dark. So Jesus begins to expound. He says, Nicodemus, do you remember Israel in the wilderness? They were out there because of their sin and the murmuring. God unleashed serpents on them. And the serpents were biting the people. The people were dying left and right. And finally, Moses says, God, what are we going to do? Are we going to lose all of Israel to snakes? And God said, I want you to take and make a snake out of brass. I want you to put it on a pole. And I want you to raise it up. 
so the people can see it. And anybody that sees that serpent, isn't this a weird cure? If you look on the serpent, just look at the serpent, the one who represents your curse and your problem. Look there, and I'll heal you. What a weird remedy for snake bite. Look on a brass pole with a brass serpent on it. Then Jesus said, Nicodemus, in the same way must the Son of Man be put on a pole, but it will be a cross. And on the cross, God will curse him. And you already know from Deuteronomy that any man that's ever killed and put on a cross, he is under a divine curse. You know that. Deuteronomy, and you're full of the law, Nicodemus. So must I, the Son of Man, God's going to take me, and he's going to put me on a pole, and God is going to put the curse of the race, the loss of life, the loss of relationship with God, the loss of fellowship with God, and in a moment on the cross, only six hours, I'll be there. But at noon, I'll begin to scream that God's abandoned me. For at that moment, God will make me to be your sin, your curse, your damnation, your exile, your rebellion, your choice to be God. God will judge me in those three hours as though you were be being sentenced forever. And guess what, Nicodemus? If you just look to the Lamb of God, and you, then he says those famous words, right after he says about the serpent, he said, you know God so loved the world that he gave up a son. He didn't send us an offering, and he didn't send us the 11th commandment. The law can save no one. Good works can save no one. Works, religion will never save you. He didn't send us another set of Ten Commandments. He said, I send you one that will, as the serpent, represent the sin against God. He's so loved the world that whosoever believes in him need not perish. I've given you access to the tree of life, but now it's not a tree that you eat of. It's a person. And Jesus said in John 6, unless you assimilate and take to yourself the Son of God like you would eat bread, like you would drink wine, unless I get in you, I can do you no good. A Christ outside of you will never save you. He must come into you. What is eternal life? I had someone recently ask me, said, what is eternal life? Well, I think a lot of people think like this. Uh, do you want to go to heaven? Wouldn't someone have to be rather semi-insane to say, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. No, no. Yo, well, you want to go to hell. And then we give them, they pass their IQ test. No, you get anybody to want to go to heaven. But then if you said, what if you realize that heaven, C.S. Lewis said it this way, take Jesus Christ and God will throw in heaven free. 
You take Jesus Christ, and God just throws in heaven. Because 1 John said, he that has the Son has eternal life. He who does not have the Son does not have eternal life. Then he says, these things I've written to you that you might know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know you have it. And he gave all the proofs of it in 1 John. We can know that we've passed from death to life. We want to do the right. We don't want to practice sin. We want to love the brethren. And it goes on a bunch of proofs there. But he that has the Son, it's like this. Uh, let's say that's eternal life. And, and I tell you this, if you take my Bible, if you just receive this Bible, you'll get everything that's in it. And Rich Rollins, you say, you've got so much stuff in your Bible, how do you find the Bible? And this one's kind of cleaned up, but no, I stuff in here, a little quote there, a little bit there, stockbroker's number uh, stuff, <laughs> you know. But if you take my Bible, you get what's in it. You take Christ, and you got everything God wants to give that the tree of life could never give you. You get paradise back. You get heaven back. <laughs> eternal life is a person. And eternal life is a quality of life. You see, both Christian and non-Christians will live forever. You will live forever. Now, the Greeks said that's not true. The Greek, Plato, all of them said, you stop at death. You become dust. It's over. Well, if you're sophisticated, you can become new age, and you can hope you can land on another planet and join Shirley. You can just wander out there. I, I, I'm released from my body. I get to wander the planets. If that's your idea of the afterlife, help yourself. But Jesus said there's two destinies. One is separated from God forever. The other is to be with God. And taking Jesus Christ as your Savior, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, if you believe in me. Now, what does it mean to believe in Christ? He uses it interchangeably in John. To as many as receive him, to them he gives the power to become sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. What does that mean, believe? It's the idea of trust of reliance upon. It's not just, oh, yeah, I believe he existed. It's amazing how many people give God credit for existing. It's nice of them. I mean, to acknowledge the creator, that's nice. But then say, I, I, I know people, I was one of them. I've never in my life ever believed Jesus didn't die for my sins. Any of you ever grow up that way? I always knew he died for my sins. Even when I was going to hell, I knew that because I grew up in church. I knew he was buried. I knew he was raised. When I was at the playground when I, when I was a kid, if you said, God damn, took his name in vain, when I was used to be bad, I'd hit you. And the guy said, why'd you hit me? Never take God's name in vain, you dirty so-and-so. <laughs> Just leave God out of it. I mean, I can call you anything, call your mama a name, but don't bring God into it. Now let's go steal something. 
So I wasn't a Christian, but I knew all the right answers. Huh? I could fill out the doctrine on Christ. Is he the son of God? You better believe he is. Was he born to my virgin? You better believe he was. Have you ever received him? No. I've been exposed to him, but I've never received him. That is an act of faith when you say, Lord Jesus, I want you. And I reach out the empty hand of faith and say, I take you to be my Savior. I believe you're the, the source of eternal life, the way back to God, the way to paradise. And I can begin eternal life now. I don't have to die. Eternal life starts now. I told once before a story, but it's a story that comes out of Christmas. And so bear with me repeating it for those of you who've heard it. Sometimes I have people tell me, you've said that before. <laughs> it's very rude of them, <laughs> especially when my wife says it. <laughs> Forty-five years, you repeated that. Give me a break. The story is told of a uh, wealthy widower who was raising his son that he loved. He had so much wealth that he spent much of it on collecting fine art and taught his own son to collect this art. He became an avid uh, art collector, Picasso, Monet, on and on had millions of dollars worth of fine art. Everything's going along fine, and the father delighted in his son's acumen and ability to love what he loved. War came, and the boy was recruited. And the dad was sent a notice that his boy was missing in action. After about two weeks... A soldier came to the door and told him that the son had been killed in action. And he said he was out rescuing wounded men. Later on, he found out not just one man, but many men. He was, I don't know if he was a medic or what he did, but he rescued many men. And... Uh, in that report, when he made that report, he had a package in his hand. He said, uh, I, I knew your son. He was my friend. And he said, I'd like to give you this. He said, I, I, I'm an artist. I like to paint. And so the dad opened the package, and inside of it was a portrait of his son that this soldier had painted. And he did an excellent job on the facial features, and the dad was just overwhelmed. Well, the dad eventually put that picture over the fireplace, over the mantle. He moved million dollars worth of paintings aside, aside. And he would sit there, and year after year, the focus was on that picture of the boy. It seemed to bring him to the room for him. 
in time he died. And when he died, it came the day to uh, get rid of all the art. And he, in his will, he'd hired an art dealer to auction off all this collection. And so on that day, the auctioneer got up and he starts off, the th first thing he put out there was the picture of the sun. A man in the audience was insulted. Uh, he said, uh, why insult us with such art? Why the insult? We came here to buy these million-dollar pieces. We came for the Picasso. We came for the Monet. And nobody would bid. After a while, there was a gentleman there that knew the old man, knew the son in his youth. And he finally said, uh, will you take $10? Will you take $10? And they listened. Who will make it 100 Who will make it 2 Nobody else bid on it. $10. Gets the painting of the boy. At this point, the auctioneer hits the gavel, said, this auction's over. Men begin to scream in the back of the room, this is a fraud. We came, we came to buy fine art. What's this? Why are we stopping? He said, it says in the will that whoever takes the sun takes all. And that's, that's what God says. If you'll take Jesus, you can have everything God's got. You can have heaven. God is willing to be stuck with you forever if you'll just take his son. Can you imagine that? I mean, how long do you want your mother-in-law to visit? Forever? See, I don't have any so I could talk this way. Now, some people, you're glad to see them come. And you're really glad. Anyway, uh, God says, I want rebellious sinners who chose themselves over me that finally the Spirit of God made them see Jesus is my best gift. He's eternal life. And if you receive him, God will throw in everything else. Do you want the Son? Have you ever received Christ? What keeps you from it? Oh, there's so many excuses. I'm not ready. I'm too young. Uh, I like my sin. Uh, oh, Jesus said men don't come to the light if they love the darkness. And I just ask you, are you tired of the darkness? Would you like to come into the light? If you'll receive him, and he makes it, believe in him. And I can stay here all day and give you 1,300 definitions of believe and still not enable you to believe. For we're saved by grace through faith. And this is a gift from God. It takes God to enable you to believe him. Do you want to believe? Do you want to receive? If you do, Today will be the greatest Christmas gift you've ever had in your whole life. Receive Christ. Receive Christ. And you won't be disappointed.
I want to pray for you. And uh, let's just bow our heads. And maybe there's someone that you would let me know that you want Christ and ask me to pray for you, and I'll include you. Are you here? Anyone here said, I've never received Christ, but I want to know him. I want him to come into my life. Is there anyone there? We'll especially remember you, to remember you in prayer. Let us pray. Father, only the Spirit of God can convince us of our need of Christ. And only he can open our eyes and remove the blinding influence of Satan that keeps us from seeing the gospel. We pray, save, Father. Only you can save. No one else can. You sent us one called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You sent us one called Emmanuel, for he is God with us. We ask you, Father, save those who have never received eternal life. And may those of us who are now in the family, who have been forgiven, who are going to heaven, paradise has been restored, and that we have the Lord Jesus living in us. May we rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Even when the dust is being put in the ground, we rejoice for this eternal life gives us a promise of a new body of a resurrected life, we are joined to a living God who does not major in death, he majors in life. Receive me, and I'll give you the life that Adam and Eve lost. Oh, Father, bring us back. Bring us back. Let our exile in sin end. Let us come home. Let us come home. There's nothing like home. And there's nothing like being at home with you. We thank you for sending Jesus your unspeakable, indescribable gift. We bless your name. And his church said, amen.